Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks, and welcome today to our online internet around the world, literally, church service, where we can gather together as a family of believers, a family in Christ, in God, and enjoy the wonderful Word of the Lord, and enjoy the Spirit of God moving around the earth today in the lives of many, many people. Now, I would like for you to take your Holy Bibles and meet me in the book of Leviticus chapter 19, and I want to share just a couple of scriptures to prepare our hearts today to receive the holy tithes and offerings and to bring them into the storehouse of the Lord. Praise God. Again, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9, it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, and let me just interject that I really sense that amazing harvest is coming into your life. So the tithes and offerings message, plus what I'm going to share in today's sermon, is highlighted by the Holy Spirit as preparation for your harvest. So this is essential knowledge that you need to know here in Leviticus 19, again, verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Now, we understand that Israel was operating under primarily an agricultural system. And you would have designated seasons of harvest, and you would bring that harvest in. And while you're bringing the harvest in, you don't need to go over your fields or your trees or your vineyards like, uh, you know, like the ultimate tightwad, just, you know, raking everything, you know, taking every, everything off the vineyard, even every grape. No, leave some behind for those that would be poor and those that would be strangers or uh, another maybe modern translation would be, would be those that are immigrants that need help. And we see this in the Word of God. Now, in today's culture, um, you can still apply these principles, and you're going to need to because harvest is coming to you, and you're going to have more than enough. And so you have to understand God's, God's way of working this with your harvest. Now, here in town locally, we have Starbucks. We have some other coffee houses. Several of them, of course, have drive throughs And when you order your coffee uh, and pull up to the drive through to pay, there's usually a little tip jar right there. And what me and Pastor Kelly like to do, because, uh, you know, we, we go use it at different times. Sometimes we'll go together, but we'll always give a tip, usually a dollar. And I don't just stick it in the tip jar, I give it to the person in the drive through window. That way they can touch it, and they can feel it, and then they can put it into the tip jar themselves, and it's more personal. I would encourage you that you always have on you or in your vehicle 
some $1 bills. Now, that would be for Americans. I know in, you know, if you're in Europe, uh, you, that's going to be a coin. But here in America, it's good to have some ones. I'd say have like 20 of them. Uh, you have just 20 ones. That way you always have that ability to tip somebody. And, you know, you and I both understand normally people that are working in those types of positions, they're making minimum wage. And so they're not working that job to become wealthy. Usually for people like that, it's a transitory job. They're usually young people, maybe out of high school or still in high school, uh, uh, high school. So it's a real blessing. It's a real blessing to them. It may not mean much to you, but a dollar, and when others do that, those dollars add up. I remember years back when I used to work at the Lowe's Home Improvement Store, and uh, I had... I had a friend of mine. He was a lot older than me, uh, but we worked together. And one day he came to me and said, Stephen, there's a, a, a person that's purchased some heavy stuff. And he's asked me to load it for him. He said, would you help me? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll help you. And so uh, we loaded this stuff up for this person, put it in their truck. The person, before he drove away, reaches for his wallet and pulls out a t uh, two $10 bills, gave one to my friend, gave one to me, got in his truck, drove off. And, you know, you know, he said, thank you. Thank you for doing this and, you know, doing it with a good heart and a good attitude. He said, I appreciate it. So my friend turned at me and said, now, Stephen, let that be a lesson. If you hang with me, you're going to see money come to you. And I said, oh, is that right? $10, huh? He said, hey, that'll cover your lunch. I said, yes, it will. I said, that was nice that he gave us a tip like that. And you know, $10 was not going to make my world, but it did buy my lunch at a, at a time where, you know, that was nice. That was a nice blessing. Okay, so two days go by, and I sold some things. And the person said, will you load these for me? I said, I'd be happy to load them for you. And there were some big items. So I called my friend. I said, hey, his name was John. I said, John, come help me load this stuff outside for this person. He goes, okay. So we loaded it all up. And the person was happy. And just before he left, he pulls his wallet out. And he pulls out two 20s. And he hands me a 20. And he hands my friend a 20. He gets in his truck and drives off with the stuff that we loaded up. He's happy. And we're happy. And I turned to my friend. And I said, now look. I said, as long as you run with me, you're going to know what real prosperity is. <laughs> I said, because that's the double. Hallelujah. Well, you and I both know that $20 is not going to alter the destiny or the outcome of your world, but it does uh, cover a nice lunch, maybe even dinner on top of that. But look, when you're into that place where you're reaping your harvest, you're going to have people that are in your life that that means a lot to them. That does mean a lot to them, and it's fun. It's a real joy to be able to do that. It's fun to be in the drive through at McDonald's. I don't always eat at McDonald's. Maybe once a month I'll go to McDonald's. But it's fun to be in the drive through at McDonald's, and I can look in my rearview mirror, or you know, I've got the big side mirrors also, and I can look, and I can see the person behind me. And I've had sometimes people behind me that, you know, maybe a broken down car, that for them, $5, for them to pay $5, that's, that's you know, you know, that's going all out because, you know, there's, there's people in the community that don't have a lot of money. And you can look at the car. The car's about to fall apart. Got four bald tires. Uh, you know, looks like the car's 30 years old. And, uh, you know, the person looks like they're struggling. And, you know, uh, it's fun to go up to the window 
Now, you can get away with this when it's just a single window. If it's double, you can't do it because then they're going to know who you are. But when it's just a single drive through window, you can pay. They hand you your food, and you're gone. But you can also pay for yours and say, hey, I want to get the person behind me. And it's just so much fun to do that. And then you, you've paid for them, too. They don't know it until they pull up to the window, and they, they're just going to pass them their food and drink, and he's going to be ready to pay, and he's going to find out it's already paid for. It's a lot of fun to do that. What are you doing? You are operating in these principles that... That God laid out that when you reap your harvest, you know, don't just take all of it, consume all of it on yourself. Be mindful of those who are poor. Now, my wife is really good at this because she likes to bless the police officers. And anytime we're out eating and she notices a table, just even if it's one or two or a whole table full of, uh, you know, sheriffs or lawmen or law officials or whatever, she'll just go over to the, uh, once we we paid, we're ready to leave. She'll go over to the counter and she'll pay for them. They won't know and just pay off the whole bill for them. And, uh, you know, they'll probably get up. We're not there when it happens, but they'll probably get up and go to pay and find out, hey, it's all been paid for. It's just a real blessing to do that for people that would be persecuted. And, you know, the, the police officers are right now in so many ways. It's just nice to be able to do wonderful things like that. And we are actually commanded to do it. Now, Deuteronomy, we see it again, chapter 24, verse 19. When you reap your harvest, I'm telling you, your harvest is coming. And you need to know the, the protocol of handling your harvest properly. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. By the way, aren't you glad that Boaz didn't uh, uh, tell his workers, gather everything, don't leave anything for the poor? No, he intentionally said, look, we know, we know the word, okay, we know what we're supposed to do, so make sure that you don't, you don't grab all that, leave some for the poor. And he noticed Ruth and said, make sure you drop some on purpose, because she's coming that direction, just kind of like accidentally drop some, so that she's able to gather much more than what normally would be gathered. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless. And the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So we have the stranger, we have the fatherless or orphans, and we also have the widow. And when you do this, it says, the Lord God will bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, and that many times could be the immigrant, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall, it shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember, this is very important, and you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. Well, Pastor Stephen, I'm not a slave anymore. I'm not in Egypt anymore. I'm doing pretty good. That's good. But don't ever forget. And I know this is true for many of you, the way it used to be and the way you used to struggle and just, you know, you're gasping for that next paycheck to come in because you've run out of money uh, and, and you still have uh, days left and you're, you're just, you know, you remember what those days were like. But now that the Lord has blessed you, uh, have a heart of compassion for those where you can reach out and be a blessing. Look, you don't have to be a millionaire or multimillionaire to do this. This is something that you can do. And, you know, when, when the guys come over to mow our lawn, there, there's a team that comes over. 
my wife, she always goes to the refrigerator and grabs some Gatorades or whatever it would be in there, apple juice or whatever, and she goes out there and, and hands it to them. There's never been one time, one time when they've never said no. Why? They're, they're hot and thirsty. Uh, but, you know, there's some, there some people, that they don't have the money. They don't have the extra money to go out and buy a six-pack of Gatorade. But you know what? We keep things like that on hand. And as our house over the last year has been going through a remodel, We've had a lot of different subcontractors come in, whether it's plumbers, whether it's electricians, or whether, uh, whoever it is, HVAC guys or whatever. It doesn't matter. They're in the fridge. We keep extra drinks. We keep the Gatorades. We keep various things. And sometimes I'll put uh, Red Bulls and the energy drinks, you know, like the Rockstar or whatever they're called. And, uh, you know, sometimes people say, well, those are really good for you. They have too much sugar in them. But I have still, nevertheless, I have never had one subcontractor ever turn me down when I come walking out with those. Because why? They're hot and they're thirsty. And you know what? It's not like everybody can go out. You, you know, oh, Pastor Stephen, that's not that big of a deal. Look, for some people in some communities, it is. Because that's a $3 drink. Hey, would you like a Red Bull? I'm holding a $3 drink in my hand. You guys want a Red Bull? You guys want a Rockstar energy drink? Here, take one. Which, which flavor do you want? Walk out with five or six flavors. They think, wow, I'll come back and work at this guy's house anytime. I want to come back and work for him. <laughs> He's the guy that hands out the energy drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, praise God. Oh, Pastor Stephen, that was just a $10 blessing. Yeah, yeah, but it means something to people that are living paycheck to paycheck. Praise God. Well, we had the fence guys out, and they did a wonderful job. And most of the guys, technically all of the guys, that were on the work, that were literally on the project, you know, putting up the poles and putting the cement in the ground and running the chain link and doing all that. All of them, 100%, they were all immigrants from South America, different countries, some from Honduras and some from Mexico and so forth. Now, they're all here legally, but they're all here and they're still trying to get their footing in an American culture. They've got good grasp on the language already, but they still... You know, they're just looking to establish their own life. They're looking to find their place in life. And, you know, they want to be successful and so forth. And they worked. They worked like, like a machine. They worked so hard. And every time they've completed a, a certain phase, we went through three phases on the fence project. Every time that we finished a phase, I would always be out there to give that team a tip. And, oh, Oh, it meant, it meant a lot to them. And when we completed the phase three, and I went out there and gave them each a tip, one of them said to me, he said, oh, Mr. Stephen, he said, it makes me so happy in my heart the way that you have treated us. And in other words, don't just say, look, this, you know, I'm paying for this and you better work hard and... Don't expect to get any, though, that you, you can't hardball people like that. You, you could, but you, you're commanded actually in Scripture not to. You're commanded, don't do that. Be kind. Now, let me say this. There's always two sides of a coin. Don't, don't overdo it. You, you, have to, uh, you have to learn the art of this, the grace of this. You can't overdo it. I was just in South Carolina where I was doing some ministry, and I, I don't know where I saw this, but um, anyhow, there was a, 
there was a lady in South Carolina working at a Burger King drive-thru window. Okay, so she's making minimum wage. She's working at the drive-thru window. Hi, what would you like today? Uh, okay, a large Whopper and fries and a drink. Okay, pull around and I'll take your payment. And uh, so somebody pulled around. Somebody with a lot of money, I think it was, a, it was one of these professional athletes, comes to the drive-thru, orders his $6 meal, pulls around, and gives her a $4,000 cash tip. I mean, just you know, pays for the meal, and then hands her a wad of cash, $4,000. Okay, then he gets his food and drives away. Well, you know, for, for a young girl making minimum wage, that, you know, kind of like, you went tilt a little bit. And so she went and guess what she did? She went and told the manager who, you know, you know, even though you're the manager, you're still at, you know, this is fast food. This, this is not like you're, you're managing a, uh, you know, a large uh, fortune 500 corporation. She went and told the manager, he goes, Oh, well, we need to put that money in the safe. Not, excuse me, not the safe. We need to put it over here in my cashier and, and you know, where I keep the, uh, the store cash. And uh, he kept it, never gave it back to her. And so she, she called like the local TV station or something like that to put pressure on him. So see, see what I'm saying is that that type of money for people on that level, they, they go crazy over stuff like that. It will inflame jealousy. It will rise up uh, envy and hatred. It will cause strife and friction. Why? That, that, is, that is not the right way to tip. That's, that's not being generous. That's being foolish. You, you will actually hurt people by doing things like that. And it caused all kinds of problems. So you have to you have to know how to do it the right way to do it. That's why I say um, keep small bills. Don't just hand them a ten dollar bill. If you're going to give somebody a ten, don't give them a ten. Give them ten ones. Why? To them, it seems like a lot more. It's the same amount, but to them, in their way of thinking, it seems like a lot more because you get to count through it, and it just feels better to have more. And you got a bigger, but you know, amount you can put in your pocket makes them feel good. So understand those types of things, and remember where you came from. And God's not done with you yet. You're going to go to higher levels. Praise God. But my friends, remember. This is what we're told when you reap your harvest uh, Don't just reap it to the max where you take every olive off every tree <laughs> Take every grape off every vineyard take every apple off every apple tree and There's nothing for any uh, you know have a heart have a heart of kindness You'll have those opportunities they'll come by and just walk in the grace of God in this area now Always remember first and foremost, honor the Lord with your tithe. Bring the tithe into the storehouse. And when you want to also sow seed, make sure that you do that. Sow financial seed. So you are working these principles that bring the supernatural increase of God into your life. His provision will flow into your life. You're working His kingdom principles and they work anywhere, any place, anytime, regardless of what's going on out there. So stay on that covenant platform. Now, let's do just that. Let's now bring the tithes and offerings into the storehouse. If you would like to mail them in, please send your tithes and offerings to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina. The zip code is 28654. If you prefer to bring the tithes and offerings in online, you can do so from anywhere in the world. Please visit the ministry website. Stephenbrooks.org. There is a link on the homepage called Tides and Offerings, Sow and Reap, and you can go there 
and you can bring them in. Now, we also have a header on our website called Projects, and under that project header, we have the the airplane hangar. And if you would like to sew into that, that is a project that we're just working on. We're working on. And when we get to the amount where we have the amount that's needed, then we can make a move on that. But we're still sewing into that. So that project is active. And if you want to do something beyond your tithe and you want to give an offering, that is available. Praise God. Thank you for your generous giving. Heavenly Father, bless your people. Bless your people. And as they come into their harvest and they experience the more than enough, we thank you that they will also know that that inward grace where Paul, quoting Jesus, said it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So we thank you for these ways where we can honor you, O God, by leaving some gleanings in the field for those who have not been so fortunate. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. We all agree and say, Amen. You know, I know that those in the world don't understand this, but you cannot ever eradicate poverty. It doesn't matter how much m money you pour into it. And that's been tried before by governments. It won't fix it. Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. Why? Because poverty is more than lack of knowledge, lack of education. Th those can certainly contribute to it. But poverty at its core root is a spiritual problem, and it can only be resolved through Christ Jesus and the teachings that are found in the Word of God. So when you have those that are not disciples of Christ, when you have those that do not obey biblical commandments, then you have sin, <clears throat> You have the curse of the law working, and one of, those, one of those effects is poverty. But we thank God that we are redeemed completely from the curse of the law, and our portion is prosperity and blessing. Praise God. Now, let's take our Bibles and go to the New Covenant, over to the book of James. James chapter 1. Praise God today. And we want to talk about when is the best time to receive a miracle. Hmm. What an unusual question. When is the best time to receive a miracle? I know when, Pastor Stephen, today, today is the day of my miracle. Well, let's just look at some things in Scripture and see if we can get some insight from the Word of God of understanding when is the best time time to receive a miracle. Praise God. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, as we jump into your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would flow into the eyes of our understanding with that anointing of wisdom and understanding. Thank you, Father. Let that spirit of unveiling be all over us, which is your Holy Spirit's anointing to grasp and understand the truths of your word. And Father, even as it says in the book of James, let us be hearers and doers of what we find out and discover in your word. Now we thank you. We thank you. We praise you. Help us to make any adjustments that may be necessary and help us to also continue doing the things that are working right. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let's stop there just for a moment. 
There are many in the body of Christ who do, of course, love their Lord and Savior, Jesus, who do many great things in the kingdom of having a heart for God, but they can have a major deficit in another area where in one area they have a spirituality, but in another area they're having great defeat, and that would be cause of lack of wisdom in certain areas. And we want to fix that. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So that's really good news. So if we're lacking wisdom, and so many times we can be, and you can be, you could, you can be walking with the Lord for decades, and still there can be something vital you don't understand, and it's hurting you because of that. What is the solution? God's wisdom. If, uh, and so we know that if we ask in faith, He's going to give it to us. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So you can be a man, and you need wisdom. You could be a woman, and you can need wisdom. You could be a young person, and you can need wisdom. My friends, it's very, very important. Now, what is wisdom? One of the best definitions I've ever heard of wisdom, I'm talking about biblical wisdom. I'm not talking about what the world says. But one of the best definitions of wisdom that's biblically based is this. It's the ability to discern difference. The number one difference would be between good and evil. Now, the reason I say that this is a biblical definition of wisdom is because when Solomon asked God for wisdom, he asked for wisdom so that he could discern between good and evil. Okay, so true wisdom, first and foremost, will allow you to discern between what God endorses and what God says, hey, that's out of bounds for you. That's a no-go. Okay. And so that's knowing what's good and what's evil, regardless of how culture will try to redefine definitions and terms of what they think truth is. Well, God has written the manual, the eternal standard on truth, and God's word never changes. And cultures and, you know, uh, mores and norms, all of that can can vary greatly, but we must hold to the wisdom of God, which is what? The ability to discern difference between good and evil, right and wrong. And on and on it goes, the difference, uh, the difference in a person's countenance. Oh, the boss is not in a good mood today. What does wisdom say? Today is not a good day then to ask for a raise, even though if you're planning on it, if you had your speech all prepared, don't ask him today. He's not in a good mood. Ask him when you can discern the difference of when he's in a happy moment. Oh, that's when you want to ask him. See, wisdom, the ability to discern difference. Mm. I talked to a, a pastor one time. He said that, he was in a, a, a conference there sitting on the conference platform who was supposed to be the key speaker was the world's most famous evangelist, a man 
that could get more people saved by accident than what this other guy could do on purpose trying in a lifetime. But this other guy who was a uh, he was an unknown minister. When I say unknown, I'm not saying he was not important. He was loved by the Lord and he's God's servant, but he did not have the anointing that the guy did sitting on the uh, in the chair over there who was supposed to be the main speaker. But this minister got up. They, they were supposed to have given him like two minutes. But he was one of the guys that he loved himself and he loved the microphone and he turned the two minutes into 20 minutes and then he turned it into 25 minutes. And, and the whole time the main speaker is sitting over there with an anointing, a world changing anointing. He's sitting there and he's just, see, what's going on? What, that the guy that's up there talking who thinks he's all of that when he's not, does not have wisdom. What is wisdom? The ability to discern, hey, that guy sitting over there has a lot more horsepower beneath the hood than what I do. So I should sit down and let him come up and minister because the anointing on him is about a thousand times stronger than what it is on me. <laughs> that's, that's wisdom. It's the ability to discern difference. Difference in doctors. This guy is a brain surgeon. This guy uh, is a, he's a family practitioner. Which one do you want to work on your brain? Oh, they're all the same. No, no, they're not. No, they're not. <laughs> Woo, praise God. Mm -mm. The ability to discern difference. Now, we have to understand. We have to understand some things about wisdom, the, the biblical wisdom. This wisdom of God, which is according to what James wrote, the wisdom that is above all other so-called forms of wisdom, whether it's earthly wisdom, demonic wisdom, whatever it is. This wisdom of God is higher than, than any other form of wisdom. That would, of course, be disclosed in chapter, uh, chapter 3 of the book of James. But when you look more carefully, you also see that this wisdom of God will carry you into a place where you are consistently making right decisions. Making right decisions over and over and over. Now, I'm talking along this line today because of some things I've seen recently that have troubled my spirit and they're not things that I'm facing because we're we're blessed we're doing good but they are decisions that others have made that have caused great difficulty in their life and it was all because of decisions they made now you're going to receive harvest you're going to receive blessing and increase but my friends, you must do the right thing with it. You're going to need the wisdom of God. Bad decisions. Hear me today, please. Bad decisions make you vulnerable to the enemy. Maybe not immediately. But if you've made some bad decisions or one big bad decision, eventually Eventually, the devil is going to try to exploit that situation. And if he has leverage, he most certainly will. And if you're a minister, he, you, you can just count on it. He, he's going to make a move on that. Bad decisions are almost certain to bring unnecessary 
pressure and distress into your life. Please underline the word unnecessary because it could be avoided through making right choices. I want to say it again. Bad decisions are almost certain to bring unnecessary pressure and distress into your life. We're going to break this down today and, and look closer into this, like almost like under a microscope. Your life that you're living, while viewed casually from a distance, may look like a game of checkers being played out, but it's not. It's more like a game of chess. And you need to be thinking not one or two moves ahead. You need to be thinking multiple moves ahead when you make a decision, when you exercise the wisdom of God, because when you ask for it, he's going to give it to you. And you believe you've got it and you walk in it and you will begin to have the heart and the mind of God for what it is you're supposed to do. And when you make those wise decisions, you will realize those decisions are not just foreseeing one or two moves ahead. You're like 10 moves ahead. You're seeing things down the road that are 10, you know, stratus played out before you ever get there. May I add this today? Because we are in the end time scenario. You don't have the luxury of making a major blunder and possibly being able to fully recover from that. Why? Because time is running out and you, you need to get it right. There's grace if you miss it. But how about this? How about instead of trusting God for grace, for, for trusting God for grace to cover a blunder, how about this? Why don't we trust God for grace to do what Paul said grace will do in the book of Titus chapter 2? Which is that grace will teach, some translations say instruct, grace will instruct you to do what? To live righteously and soberly and godly in this present age. And it will also instruct you to deny ungodliness and to deny worldliness and say no to it. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm not going to be governed by my feelings. I'm not going to be uh, governed by, you know, like uh, wild passions, unrestrained. I'm going to be governed by the word. I'm going to be taught by grace. I'm going to get it right the first time. I'm going to continue to get it right because grace will do that. It teaches you to deny, to deny, to say no, no. Woo, praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Okay, now, you're going to make these right decisions. You're going to be like the master chess player. A master in the world of chess is somebody that is on a very, very high level. We would call them professional. Uh, this would be somebody that, uh, anybody on that level is on genius level. And it's the ability to foresee many, many moves, even up to 50 moves ahead. Woo, praise God, with all the different scenarios and possibilities of how the enemy might even try to counterattack. Mm -mm. You're walking in the wisdom of God. You're walking in the wisdom of God. 
and you're going to know when is the best time to receive a miracle. Go with me now to the book of Joshua, chapter 5, Joshua chapter 5, <laughs> Woo! verse 10, verse 10, now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho, and they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread, and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. Stop for a moment and just say that verbally out loud. Then the manna ceased. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Cana that year. They're now into the Canaan land. Now, why did the miracle of the manna stop? It stopped for this one main reason. Because God wanted to mature them. He wanted to mature them. Now, we are told by the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, that the just shall live by faith. Now, when he's quoting that, he's quoting that from the prophet Habakkuk, who spoke the same thing in chapter 2, verse 4. But Paul liked that statement so much, he even quoted it in the book of Romans, chapter 1. But it is true that the just, that you and I, shall live by, not by miracles, and if God had intended for us to live by miracles, Paul would have been all aboard on it, and he would have said, the just shall live by miracles. Now, Paul was not against miracles. I'm not against miracles. I love miracles. But my friends, you don't live your life by miracles. The just, again, that's you and I, you live how? By faith. Faith in what? Somebody may say, well, I, I have faith in God. I'm trusting God. Well, what do you mean when you say that? Well, I'm trusting God. Well, what you're actually meaning is that you're trusting his word. Because if you trust God, then you're trusting his word. Is that correct? So if you have faith in God, then you have faith in his word. And if you have faith in his word, then you're having faith in his principles and in his ways of living that he has instructed for us here in this book. Now, there's no question that the Israelites, when they were in the desert wilderness, they needed miracles. Um, nothing's going to grow in the wilderness except for these various forms of cacti. And, but it's just a place where, with a couple of million people, you're going to have to be supernaturally sustained. And they were. And even the manna itself somehow had all the nutrition and vitamins and minerals packed with a tremendous density into a little bitty wafer. And you could live off that little bitty piece of a little like a flour cake looking thing. You could live off that. It was supernatural. It was even called the food of angels. They needed miracles then. 
But when they got into the Canaan land, God expected them to start living not by miracles anymore, but by faith principles. He wanted them to live off principles. Now, God established the natural laws. A miracle is the overriding, the temporary suspension of a natural law because God chooses to do so. But it does not continue. God will eventually lift that miracle anointing, and then you're back to the everyday method of operating, which is the natural laws which He created, so they're good. Well, Pastor Stephen, what were they supposed to do in the Canaan land? Well, how were they were supposed to operate? They're supposed to operate by principles of faith and principles of living, because they are now in a territory that has very fertile soil, and they did not have that out in the wilderness. Well, Pastor Stephen, what were they were supposed to do? Can you show me? Yes. Here's a few examples. They were supposed to take seeds and plant them, possess land, drive out the sinful, wicked inhabitants under the authority and directive of God's instructions, possess the land, the land is very for, uh, fertile, and start growing crops. How about that? How about some cantaloupe? How about this? I like this. Watermelon? Mm -mm. These were all sent to me by an uh, online church member. Praise God. Hot peppers. Entry-level jalapenos. Ooh, looks good. Spice up your life. Praise God. These are always good. Nice in a salad. Uh, cucumbers. Praise the Lord. I used to grow those all the time growing up. Uh, sweet corn. That's wonderful. How many of you like the heirloom seeds? Those are, those are really nice. If you're going to plant any kind of seed, it's, it's best to plant the heirloom seeds. They'll taste a hundred times better. And here's sweet Spanish yellow Utah jumbo onions. Mm -mm. Praise God. And, and we might as well make the church property look as beautiful as possible. Here are some chamomile seeds. And uh, who knows, maybe we can make some tea out of that. And here we have beautiful lavender. Mm -mm. Lavender, uh, for some reason, really is big in Ireland. Wow, does it grow in Ireland really well, and of course in France also. Praise the Lord. So my friends, that's what they were supposed to step into. Well, I don't want to do all that. That's a bunch of work. Yeah. It's quite enjoyable, actually. <laughs> it's, it's, it's called maturity. Uh, and you begin to build dignity into your life. Instead of just having something handed to you all the time, now you begin to establish yourself and grow up and see the rewards of your labor. Woo! Praise God. Hallelujah. And you can, you can use variety. You can plant what you want. And uh, if you want a bigger crop, then you can, uh, you can plant more seeds. And you have all of these uh, variables now of blessing and increase. What was the whole point of stopping the manna? God wanted to mature them and take them on in their spiritual development. Praise God. Now, if you're the kind of person who's still living as a Christian on trying to exist off miracles, and you're sitting there watching me and you're thinking, by tomorrow, I've got to have $10,000 or there's going to be a major problem, and I've got to have it tomorrow. Well, 
if you're in a situation like that and the deadline comes and the money doesn't show up, then what you need to do is honestly just sit down and have a little talk with the Lord and say, Lord, why am I living like this? Where am I missing it? Now, if you find yourself in a situation where you need a valid miracle and you have been doing your part, your responsibility, and you're trusting God for a miracle, well, then I believe God loves us and cares for us, and he will never fail to do his part. But if we are failing to do our part and we are refusing to mature and to grow up, then this learning experience can be rather difficult if you buck against God's teaching. Or as Paul said, kicking against the goads. That's what he was told. Uh, Paul was basically said, hey, hey, you're kicking against the goads. And the goads were those sharp, pointy, uh, iron points that would stick out from the... Uh, from the plow area of the, of the oxen. And you could only imagine busting your shins into that over and over. It'd be a very difficult lesson to learn. Well, there are Christians that are out there that in many ways are refusing to grow up. And the culture can really uh, do their part of trying to warp your understanding because there is a, there's a move in our culture where everybody now wants everything for free. And uh, you get a participation trophy, uh, even if you didn't participate. You get, you get the first class trophy, even if you just showed up. It's, it's stupid. It, it's, it's really, it's belittling people. It's actually, it, behind it, let me tell you what's going on. Behind it, what's going on is, is an effort to dumb people down and to reduce people down into slavery into a mentality of slavery. And that's what the Lord had to work with, with this people. Why? They're all coming out of Egyptian bondage. They're all coming out of, of captivity. So God has got them out of Egypt, but the Egyptian way of slavery thinking is still in them. So what does God want to do? God wants to say, Hey, grow up, grow up. You know, don't always be looking for a handout. You know, you look to be handing out. You look to be a blessing. Mm -mm. Pastor Stephen, I want somebody to give me a free cell phone. Why? When you, can, when you are living in the most prosperous economy that the world has ever seen, why would you need somebody to buy you a phone? Why can't you go out and buy your own? Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. So that's what we're working with. And that spirit of the world has come into the church, and it makes people want to settle for the lowest possible place. And that place will keep you in a position of begging. That place will keep you in a, uh, also in a, in a position of always relying upon that hand to feed you. Now, you're always relying upon that hand to feed you. Why? They gave you a free education. They gave you a free cell phone. And now they got you trapped. And now you're in this cycle. What are you going to give me next? What are you going to give me next? And you know what? That, that source, whether it's the government or the state or whatever, becomes your God. And that's the way they want you to behold them. That's the way they want you to see them as 
your God. Mm. But let me tell you this right now. You cannot look to Jehovah Jireh and say you're my God while at the same time you're over here looking to somebody trying to manipulate them, begging and just looking for another handout. Wow. See, that stuff will steal all of your dignity. It will strip all of your honor as a human out of you. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. So, no more manna. Some of them probably cried and bawled and squalled. Well, you mean we got to go out and work, get our hands dirty? Yeah. Yes. That's exactly what you have to do. <laughs> and do it for 12 hours a day. And when you go to sleep at night, you'll feel so good. Woo! Praise God. Mm-hmm. Oh, Pastor Stephen, I don't want to sweat. Well, starve. Paul said, he who will not work, let him not eat. Mm-mm. Praise the Lord. Very, very interesting. Praise God. So I, I see these people sometimes there. Lord, I, I've got a deadline. I need the miracle. I need the miracle by the deadline. The deadline comes and goes. It doesn't happen. They push the deadline back. God, I need it by then. Can't you see something's not working right? Something's off. Mm, praise God. Let's go on. Second Kings chapter 4. If, if you're squirming a little bit and this is making you uncomfortable, then I just have to warn you that this next story uh, just may, it may push you to a place where you finally decide, you know what, I'm going to have to make a change here. Hopefully this is what it will do. We're in 2 Kings chapter 4, and we're going to go into verse 1, and I'm going to read it to you. And for some of you, you're going to think, that's talking about me. Let's find out. Some of you are doing good, but I know that there are some that you're listening to me and you've been playing this area over here uh, too long of, of just not rising up the way the Lord wants you to, but you're going to make that shift today. Now, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, your servant who was, of course, a prophet, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. Stop right there. This servant of Elisha, the esteemed prophet, Elisha, the number one prophet in the nation at that time, largest ministry, strongest anointing, etc., etc. He had schools of prophets. He had spiritual children. They were prophets, and this man that is being referred to was one of them. He feared the Lord. I don't doubt it one bit. He feared the Lord. He prayed. He prophesied. Let's get real. Did you know that you can fear the Lord and still do really stupid things in life? Mm. Did you know that you can fear the Lord and turn right around and make decisions that are so dumb that you're like, what in the world did I just do? Why did I do that? Why did I do that? Mm. And you want to kick yourself, but it's too late. You've already signed. You, you gave your word. Your, your, your word is a legal binding in your contract. You're in it. Now you can't get out. And they won't let you out. Mm. You think, why did I do that? You think, how did I get in this mess? Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So he feared the Lord. He feared the Lord. Now, 
And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Mm, the creditor is coming. He feared the Lord. But you, you need the fear of the Lord. But you need more than that. You need more than that. So this lady, you can only imagine what she's been going through. He's coming. And he's going to take my two boys. See, just because the husband died didn't mean that the debt was terminated. Back in those days, they, they played rough. And so the repo man is coming. And I can imagine that the mother of the children, she's having sleepless nights. She's probably having problems with her heart and blood pressure issues because of the stress and the worry and the anxiety of this of what this massive debt has caused. Now, it would also appear to indicate that there was a deadline where the payment is due. And if you don't get the final payment in, look, we've extended, maybe the repo guy gave some grace periods and said you get 30 days or whatever. But the time came and went. She couldn't deal with the debt. It's beyond her ability. And now the, the person who is the, you know, the paper holder says, look, no more grace period. I'm coming. And so the deadline came and went. Whatever. Look, whenever that happens, something's wrong somewhere. And you've got to get it right so it never, ever happens again. Can you say yes? Praise God. He shows up. He's called the repo man. He repo yachts. By the way, did you know that Rich people also can get into financial trouble. They overextended themselves. They, they, you know, bought a bunch of stuff. Then they had a hiccup. Then they had a money problem. Suddenly, they can't cover the payment. And so, yes, yachts get repoed. I'm talking million-dollar yachts. Airplanes, jets get repoed. Yes, wealthy people have financial problems, too. Jets get repoed. Houses get repossessed. Cars get get repossessed children got repoed Woo! well if you don't have the money we'll take your kids and it was totally legal well pastor Stephen that's slavery yes that's exactly what it was <laughs> it's existed for thousands of years and still exists today still exists today it's called child slave labor Oh, no need to even get into the sex slave trade. That's a total different, massive, global mess. But you've got these various companies that do all of their virtue signaling, that are all for social justice, that are all for the betterment of all people of all colors. Oh, really? That, is that really what you... Say and proclaim, but yet you turn and do the exact opposite on the other side of the world. Nike. Hello, Nike. And you didn't change until you got caught and it was all videoed and exposed to the world. So you have a seven-year-old girl sitting in dirt, working for 12 to 16 hours a day, stitching together soccer balls. And you pay her two dollars for the entire day of labor, and she's only seven years old, and you know it, in these giant child slave labor work factories. Oh, Adidas, you, you did the same thing. 
You did the same thing, employing thousands and thousands of them, knowing fully about it, and you didn't care. You didn't care. But yet, you'll stand before America and say, we're all for social justice. You're just a bunch of total liars. And you know you are. You're total frauds. You'll do anything for money, including putting little children in the forced slave labor camps. You have no conscience. Don't act like you do. Don't virtue signal the church and act like you're holy and we're not. No, we're the ones that are holy. We're the ones that hold up the standard of truth and righteousness. You know, from a true source. Woo! Hallelujah. Praise God. And there's many other companies that have played the same card, acting like you're righteous when you're just as filthy and sinful and dirty as can be. And you literally have blood on your hands. And you don't care. You'll do anything for money. And you'll say anything, and you'll bow to anybody for money. At the lowest form, that's called prostitution. You prostitute yourself for money. Mm. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Pressure. Pressure. My dear brothers and sisters, get out of this wicked world system that has control over all you that takes away your sovereignty would even take away your voice because they say we can control you because we actually own you. Mm. Praise the Lord. Build a financial moat around yourself. You don't have to be super wealthy to do this. You can start right where you're at. Build a moat around yourself financially and walk in the wisdom of God's word. Mm -mm. Well, he shows up. He's on the way to get those boys She's desperate. She's got to get a hold of a man that can operate in what the Bible calls the gift of working of miracles. Why? She's a miracle. <laughs> Woo! Um, just to let you know, there's not a lot of people walking around with that anointing. Have you, have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? That even in the church today, that gift is a priceless gift. It's called the gift of of working of miracles. Well, there is a man in that generation, in that moment, in that day who had that anointing, and that would be Elisha. She gets a hold of him, basically explains the story to him, and look at verse 2. Look at his response. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? I mean, what, what do you want me to do? I mean, do you think I've got like a paper money printing machine over here in my ministry office? Do you want me to start printing money for you? What am I supposed to do? <laughs> I mean, I, you think I'm God? <sighs> hmm. Well, Pastor Stephen, he, he bailed her out. He did. He did. He had that anointing. But look, look let, me, let me say this. Let me see if I can explain this to you so that you're in a place preferably where you never need this in the first place. Because she's, uh, how many years do you think this took off of her life? Five years, ten years, the strain, the stress? Maybe all of her hair went gray. Just the trouble, the debt, the, the pressure that was caused by this made her look ten years older. Who knows? What a mess. Do you, do you really want to go through stuff like this over and over again? No. Let's not live like this. Let's not live like this. Pastor Stephen, we believe in miracles. I do too. God does too. But I'm going to reveal to you in just a moment the best time to receive a miracle. Now, hold your finger here. Let me share something with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. I wrote a whole book on the gifts of the Spirit. 
and I wrote a whole I wrote a whole chapter on this gift that I want to cover very briefly. To another is given the working of miracles. All nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're all supernatural. They are all on the supernatural realm. Here we have the gift called the working of miracles. The fact that there is the working of it denotes that there is a human, there is an individual involved in God's power, that miracle power coming forth. It's being manifested through somebody most often. And when I operate in that gift working of miracles and a miracle happens, God works the power through me and I'm working that miracle on somebody. I'm not the one who is the source of that power. I'm just, I'm just the cup, the vessel that it's being poured through, but it is working of miracles. It's going to be worked through somebody. But here's the thing you have to understand. Oh, Pastor Stephen, you have that gift. I need a miracle. Now pray for me right now. But you have to understand, I can't flip that switch on and off like it's a toy. I can only operate in that gift working of miracles when the Holy Spirit is manifesting through me. And if he's not manifesting through me, I'm standing around like Elijah and all, or like Elisha, and all you can say is, what shall I do for you? I mean, you think I'm God? You think I can just like flip it on and off like that? <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. But he gets into the spirit. He gets into the spirit. Why? There has been honor shown. Yes, he remembers that man. Yes, he was a good servant. He was a good servant. There is a connection. There is a relationship. And that's something that honor will tie you into. And when others go down, on, there's something about honor God really highly values. So Elisha is able to get over into the anointing. He's able to give her a supernatural word of wisdom to get out of the mess. She goes and obeys that word. And the next thing you know, something is beginning to happen. The miracle is working and she gets the debt paid off and has enough left over to even live on the rest. Not going by lottery tickets. Lord, have mercy for the absolute foolishness of God's people who do such idiotic things. Pastor Stephen, if I win the lottery, though, I'll pay the tithe. You're not even tithing now. Stop living in deception like you'll straighten up as if doing something wrong twice will make it right once. No, it never works like that. You live by principles. You don't live off of miracles or else or else you're going to probably meet the repo man. Have you ever known a nice repo man? I'm here to re repossess your house. And look, I feel so sorry for you that before I take your keys away, because the marshal's standing here backing me because I have legal papers to do it. Before I take your keys away, I just, I brought you some flowers and a card. I understand how hard this must be for you. No, there, there's no such thing as a repo man. A nice, excuse me, a nice repo man. <laughs> oh, me and my wife went to go visit a very godly Christian uh, husband and wife with their wonderful family, their wonderful children. We went over to their house, and this was a dear brother that lived by flying by the seat of his pants. You, you couldn't take wisdom and give it to him if it were literally gold bricks and you said here take some of this he'd be like oh no I, I, uh, 
There's something about wisdom that I understand what it says in Proverbs that uh, concerning the fool that you put if you were to put him into a mortar and ground him, you still cannot grind wisdom into a fool. And that's the way he was. I tried to share some things with him over the years and he just he just it wouldn't I, I could tell it's not clicking. So I'm not going to waste my energy, particularly on somebody who doesn't care. But we, we felt led to go visit them one day, and we drove by their house. They were home, and we sat down, and we visited with them and talked with them. And uh, I could tell the family was shaken. I could tell something was also missing. I talked to the husband privately, one-on-one. -on -one. I, um, I said, Brother, I said, where's your vehicle that, you know, is usually parked out front? Oh, well, um, they... Uh, they repoed the vehicle. I said, they did. He goes, well, you know, last night my, uh, you know, we're all asleep and um, it's about three o'clock in the morning and my son, a teenage son, yells, dad, dad, because the son had the upstairs room by the window looking out over the parking uh, area. Dad, dad, uh, there's a tow truck. It's, it's backed up to our vehicle and they're, they're hooking up our vehicle. Uh, son, that's okay. Go back to sleep. Son, don't worry about it. Go back to sleep. Dad, they're hauling our vehicle away. Dad, what's going on? Dad, they're hauling our vehicle away. Uh, son, it's okay. Go back to sleep. Don't, don't let it trouble you. He knew what was going on. He hadn't paid the payment in four months. Didn't pay the payment in four months and just would never face responsibility. And, um, oh, oh, love the Lord. Loved the Lord tremendously. They, they, the whole family loved the Lord. But in this area of wisdom, just doing the most foolish and silly and goofy things over and over and over and over. And thus they were having experiences like that over and over. And, that, and, and see, now, now the kids are seeing that. Now the, 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 the teenage children are seeing, oh, this is how our life is. We get to meet the repo man. We, we have to know what these desperate moments are. Well, Pastor Stephen, though, we're believing God for a miracle. Well, you were doing that last month. Last time I saw you, you were doing that. And you get up to the miracle deadline. God has to do it by this date, but he doesn't do it. When will you learn this is not a good way to live? This is not a good way to operate. By the way, that dear brother was in his 40s and had been in church for, for decades, still hadn't figured it out, still hadn't figured it out. He's wanting God to give him manna. He wants some manna, but he doesn't, he doesn't want to take the time to get into the Word and receive the wisdom of God, learn principles, and begin to live off principles. Hallelujah. Plant some seed. Hallelujah. Have your own crop. Have your own harvest. Be a tither. Have some dignity in your life. Have your vehicle. Be a blessing. Pay somebody else's monthly payment because you're in the overflow. Help somebody else who's out and struggling. No, they're constantly in struggle survival mode. Constantly. Year after year after year. Mm, mm, mm. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. I had a situation years back where I had written my first book and working with my publisher, they required of me, I found out later that they didn't really require it, but they required of me that I purchase really in a sense what was an astronomical amount of books for my own self. 
you know, they're going to promote the book, but they really wanted me to promote it. And boy, did they ever want me to promote it. So I purchased a whole bunch uh, to promote it. And you know, th here's the true story behind that. Most authors, when that's done to them, they know the author is never going to be able to sell all those books. But it does help. They'll, they'll sell some, but they'll never sell all of them. But it does help, you know, the publishing house to, you know, move a bunch and uh, to get a bunch out there. I, I know I know authors who have boatloads of books, thousands, literally thousands. I know one pastor who has 40,000 unsold copies of his book that his publisher required him to purchase up front, and he never sold them all. He maybe sold 30, but he still has 40,000 left. And what's the chances after 25 years when it first came out that you're going to sell those remaining 40,000 books? It's not going to happen. You might as well just give them out for free. <laughs> so nevertheless, I signed the contract and I, 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 I signed to their terms and their agreements. And, uh, you know, the good part, the good part is, is that the Lord did help me to sell every single one of those books literally thousands of them by the way you don't know how much space that is of thousands of when you get into thousands of books and you see it in real life you're like wow where am I going to put these things that's a lot of material a lot of product nevertheless by God's grace sold every single one of them but I still had three concurring payments that I had to make to cover all of that. So the first one, I got it. The second one, I got the money. These are big chunk payments. And the third one, uh, the money, uh, while I was believing for it and, and praying and using faith, and, and, and really when you're praying, it do, you're already in an area, shouldn't have to work like that. But I, I did say, Lord, I'm using my faith, but um, you, know, you and I both know it hasn't showed up in the deadline. It's getting real close. Long story short. I needed a very large amount of money in the thousands of dollars by the next day. And it was nine, like 930 at night, maybe even 945 at night. When God came through for me with a last minute miracle and somebody as bizarre and as crazy as it was, gave me a check, called me and told me they had a check sitting on the mantle of the fireplace for me to come pick it up. And it was the exact amount for what I needed. And I Paid it the next morning because the money was in the bank. I could cash a check and make that payment for that final payment. And I was happy. Woo! God is a miracle working God. And he was. And he is. God did a miracle. I believe. You know the miracle song? In miracles. And you know I was, I was the miracle man. And people love the testimony and stuff like that. You ready for part two? Second book. Second contract. I just kind of zipped through the contract again, signed the same thing, didn't change anything, didn't really negotiate, didn't, you know, didn't really look over the numbers and uh, went through the same thing, signed the same contract. And boy, did I ever struggle through those payments. Oh, still sold the books, you know, through a lot of, lot of, lot of prayer and a lot of labor and still got the payments made, but it was hard it was hard. And I went before the Lord and I said, Lord, but you're the miracle worker. How come the miracle money didn't come? And the Lord just, he didn't like verbally speak to me, but he just impressed so strongly upon me. When will you finally begin to walk in wisdom and negotiate the contract in terms that are favorable for you? Mm -mm. I said, oh, 
Lord, now I see. I'm getting off the manna now, and I'm starting to have to do uh, some things where I've got to pull my own uh, load and do my part here. And the Lord said, yes, that's right. Or else it's going to be up here for you all the way. Uh, I remember one time I was in Seoul, Korea, uh, and had finished a conference, and I'm signing my autograph on my book that I wrote that I prayed for and sweated out and, and produced. And, and so I'm signed, and people are buying it. The line is so long, it's going out the door. And I signed and signed and signed and signed. And, you know, I thought, well, at least the good part is my books are selling. Hallelujah. I'm an internationally acclaimed author. Praise the Lord. They're buying my books overseas. Hallelujah. And I'm signing away till I can hardly even move my hand. I found out later. I'm not getting the penny for it. Even if I had gotten a dime, a dime for it, I maybe would have thought, well, at least I got something. I didn't, get, I didn't get anything for it. I didn't even get a bowl of ramen noodles for it. I got absolutely nothing for it. Why? Fine print. Fine print. They have the right to sell your book with the foreign international rights to another publisher or something like that. And they... The publisher and the international publisher, they make all the profits, and the author doesn't get anything. Doesn't get anything. I thought, that's not right, and it's not. But you know what? It's my fault. Why? I didn't read the contract. I didn't get into the fine print. Lord, do a miracle. Cover it anyhow. He didn't. He didn't. And you look sometimes at your toil and labor, and you think, that's not right, and it's not, but it is what it is. Why? Because you didn't do your part. You have to do your part. Woo, praise the Lord of one of my books after that. <laughs> after that, I negotiated so hard because you also want to negotiate from a platform where if it's not something that you're agreeable with, no matter how much you want it, you have to be willing to walk away from the table. And that's where I was at. And I negotiated so hard with, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, so hard that the, the person I was working with, uh, I, I guess the person, not really called a salesman, whatever their title was, but as he's the representative of the publisher. As I'm working with him, we had got to a point where I was finally happy. And he said, Stephen, he said, you've negotiated, uh, you have negotiated to the point where we can't make any money on the book. And finally, I thought, now, finally, finally, I'm finally at a place, because first of all, that's, that's just the talk. You understand that that's the way it is. But finally, when you hear something like that, you, you know, finally, both of you are now in a win-win situation. Yes, yes, they could still make money on the book. But finally, I can make something on the book because the, the book proceeds, they, they've been going to the ministry work. They've been going to the ministry. The check, whenever the, the royalty checks would come in, Stephen Brooks, for years, they were Stephen Brooks International, and they would just go straight back into the ministry. But when I heard that statement, I finally knew for the first time that I have finally negotiated properly and brought it to a place of where it should be. It should be win-win. If it's not, if it's not, then you shouldn't, you shouldn't sign on it. Praise the Lord. But these are things, my friends, that we go through where God weans you off the manna or sometimes just cuts it completely like cold turkey. There's no more manna. Don't expect it. Don't look for it. And it doesn't matter if you cry, ball, squall. There's no more manna. Now start maturing. Grow up. Start using your faith and start doing your part. 
Praise God. And you'll be so glad that you're standing on God's word because it'll lift you up. Just like it was lifting the others up that you looked at and thought, wow, I can never do that. Well, sure you can. Sure you can. It'll work for you too. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I want to go a little bit further. Praise the Lord. I was at the ministry facility. I'm going to, I'm going to give you preacher A, preacher B. Both real stories. I was at the ministry facility of preacher A. Beautiful facility. It didn't need one single thing done to it. It was perfect. I, I told him, I said, this is an absolutely beautiful facility. He said, yes, it is. He said, God, is, God has blessed us. And I said, how did you pay for it? And because you know, he's a close friend, so I could ask him. He said, he said, Stephen, we paid cash for it. We don't, own, we don't owe a penny on it. We paid the whole thing off in cash. I said, how did you do that? He said, what, what, he said, as the ministry will always have needs, some of those needs are needs that are long-term, and you don't have to always address them. You just, you know, you just kind of save and take care of them. But as we were increasing as a ministry, we would just always take some extra and put it over here, put it over here, put it over here, and we would save it for, quote, a rainy day or also a golden opportunity. Well, there came a time when they outgrew their facility, and they needed another facility, and a golden opportunity came to buy a building that was worth way more than what it was being offered for, and he bought it cash, and it was such a perfect fit. It was like a hand going into a perfect size glove, and it was perfect. He didn't own any money, didn't owe any money on it. Uh, everything was covered. No weird legal issues. Everything was perfect. And today, multitudes are being ministered to through that ministry. Now, Preacher B. Preacher B had a facility that he was renting. And they never put any money aside so that one day they could buy their own facility. They kind of got stuck in that rut of, well, we've been renting and you know what? We're clearing the rent and, uh, you know, we're, we're growing in numerical numbers, but, um, you know, they were just kind of moving forward, but not in wisdom. Well, because the church did continue to grow and there was prosperity in the church, although they weren't saving, what happened is that the landlord began to raise the rent on them. They had also not really examined the, the landlord, uh, the lease that they had signed. They had not examined it with an attorney. And there were some strings in there that the landlord was able to pull. And so because he was able to pull them, and he's a sinner, doesn't know God, and uh, was very even anti-church. And by the way, that's never who you want to lease from, rent from, or do business with. Well, he began to raise the rent astronomically, and the rent got higher and higher. Watch this. The rent went from about $12,000 to $15,000, $20,000 a month, $30,000, 
It went to over $70,000 a month, and they have to pay it because now they're stuck because they're too big to move because you can't just like move a large body like that quickly because you got all this stuff. And but now they're also stuck in the contract and they can't get out. And you talk about pressure. Wild pressure. Mm-mm. It bought it brought strife not only to the pastor, to the elders. It brought it brought pressure to the worship team. It just it was just very, very difficult. So guess what? They needed a miracle. Now, the other man of God, Minister A, didn't need a miracle. He just had the money, moved right on in, and guess what? People said it's a miracle. It's an America, it's a miracle. Was it really? Or was it just operating in wisdom? Okay, so the other pastor needed a miracle, and he received an offering, and it was a miracle offering. But guess what? The offering was enough to pay up all the back rent, but they're still in a place where it's going to keep coming again. And so finally, God had mercy on them, and there was a loophole where they could get out. They finally brought an attorney in and examined it. They were able to get out, and they got out, and boy, were they happy. But they no longer had a place to meet that caused a diminishing in the church. And today, that church no longer owns a property. And they're having to just rent and rent. And and, uh, look, when you start working on principles, it will lift you up into a place of great strength and solidity. And you'll be in a place where you don't have these vulnerabilities Especially if you're doing the work of the Lord, because if the enemy sees that you're doing the work of the Lord and you have vulnerable areas, trust me, he'll try to hit you. So you want to be strong in the Lord. Now, if you're doing your part and you're doing all you can do and you're walking with the Lord and you need a miracle, he can do it. I had a pastor friend. Still, he's still a friend of mine. And watch this. It's Friday afternoon. They have moved forward into their nest their next phase of building and everything's going great. Everything is going along just fine. And he, he fasted and prayed the whole church had fasted and prayed and they, they can cover the budget. Everything's good. But the construction firm pulled something sneaky on them and said on Monday, we want $750,000. Now watch this. You've got, this was on Friday afternoon, so you got two days. You got Saturday and Sunday. He said, on Monday, we want $750,000 to cover this one phase up front, or we're just going to pull back, and we're going to leave all the work that we've started, which is, you know, steel structure and stuff like that. We're just going to abandon it and leave it. And that was just the enemy doing something yucky. So the man of God went before the church and said, look, this is what the enemy's trying to do. But I believe that because we're doing everything right, responsible, and we're doing everything up, up to code and stuff like that, they're just kind of doing something over here. Let's just go ahead and pay it. Let's believe God for the money. And, th- and that would take a miracle. But he took one offering, and in that offering, they raised over $750,000. And the next day, they paid that payment. And everything was good, and the facility was finished. I've actually preached in his facility, 
And it's ginormous. It's like going to a city. <laughs> going to the church is like going to a city. <laughs> it just goes on and on and on. But my friends, there are some people, they just live on miracles. And if you do that, you're going against the will of God. And it's a very difficult path. God wants you to walk by faith. And should you need a miracle, God will be there for you. But you don't want that to be a method of operating. Praise God. Let me talk about your body just for a moment. Fred Price, Dr. Fred Price, Pastor Crenshaw Christian Center, wrote in his, one of his books, I don't have the book with me, I think the name of it will probably come to me in just a moment, but he talked about the story, and he's also shared it on national television, about when his wife, Betty, got cancer, and they begin to use their faith. She went through the chemotherapy. They're believing God for healing, but they're also going to work with the doctors. And, you know, so she goes through the whole process and she pops out on the other end after all the chemo. And, you know, chemo is horrible. What it does to you, all the nausea, hair loss, and, you know, swiping out good cells along with bad cells. But, you know, if you want to live, you know, you know, and there's not a miracle, you, you go through it trusting God. Well, she got through it. But Dr. Price said that he had talked with the Lord about it in prayer afterwards. And the Lord did reveal to him and his wife that there was an open door. And that open door was terrible eating habits. You know, you could be skinny and still eat junk and uh Watch out, because you can look okay on the outside, but if you're clogging up your arteries, there have been runners that looked like they were healthy, but they clogged their arteries up by eating all kinds of garbage. Probably the most famous one was Jim Fix, who wrote the famous book on running, who was the guru, so to speak, of the running world. You need to run for health. And while running one day, in apparent good health, dropped dead of a heart attack. And when they did the autopsy, they found out that you know, his main arteries were completely blocked up. So you can go out and run around, be skinny, maybe look like you're in shape. But if you're shoving in fried food all the time and you're, you're, you're going against biblical principles of healthy eating, my friends, don't turn around and say, God will do a miracle. It's okay. I believe in miracles. Well, you'll be saying that while they drive you to the hospital uh, in an ambulance. My friends, please walk the balance of the Word and the Spirit. Praise the Lord. Even Pastor Benny Hinn, when he was having the heart issues and would have these irregular heartbeats, which can be quite scary when your heart skips a few beats. You're like, hey, that's not normal. That's not good. And it's not good. Uh, it, it means something is really wrong. Well, he talked to the Lord about it from the perspective of, God, heal me. Lord, I prayed for healing for all of these people. Lord, and you have healed all of these people that I prayed for with miracles and signs and wonders. Now, Lord, come heal me. He said the Lord rebuked him. He said the Lord rebuked him and said, you should know better. You, with the way that you're eating and your eating habits, are very unhealthy, and you're going to do that to your body and cause your body to have this breakdown, and then you're going to turn around me to ask you to heal, to heal you? He said the Lord rebuked him. 
and said, you change the way you're eating and start eating right. Don't eat all this junk. And then the Lord said, basically, you do your part, I'll do my part. And he did his part, and the Lord did his part. And he's still going today, still preaching today. Mm, mm, mm. Do you see how you can walk in the fear of the Lord and love God deeply and sincerely, yet have a total area of vulnerability over here in another area of your life because of not walking in wisdom? And you need to have that wisdom for your finances, that wisdom for your health, the wisdom for your marriage, the wisdom for relationships. Mm -mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Does God do miracles? Yes. Pastor Stephen, tell me your answer. When is the best time to receive a miracle? Let me answer that with a story. This was about 25 years ago. Me and my wife were sitting in a certain church, a very good, spirit-filled church in Southern California. That day, the senior pastor did not speak. He allowed a, one, a guest speaker to come and minister. And he taught a message that I've never forgotten. It was really good. Now, he was from... I can't remember where he was from, Caribbean, Bahamas. Uh, now, when I say that, most people think Miles Monroe. No, it was not Miles Monroe. <laughs> but he was a speaker from down from that area. He was, he was an apostle. And so he came and he ministered. And he shared a story of how he had read a verse in the Bible. Let me read that verse to you. It's so simple. It's so simple, but it is so true. He had read a verse in the Bible. Here's the verse. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. So he read Mark chapter 11, verse 23, and he said, hmm, so if I don't doubt my heart, but I really believe this, that what I'm saying, that if I believe what I'm saying, I'll have it. He said, okay. He said, this is what I'm going to do. And he told the whole church while he's speaking what he decided to do. He wrote on a little piece of paper that I believe in my heart that I receive $1 million. And he wrote it on a little piece of paper. And every night before he went to bed and he went to sleep, he'd put that, he would take that little piece of paper out because it kept under the pillow. He would take it out and read it. I believe, according to Mark chapter 11, Verse 23, I believe that I receive a million dollars. And Jesus said that I will have whatever I say. And I believe it. I believe it. I believe I've got a million dollars. He would do it at night when he went to sleep. And he would do it in the morning when he would wake up. And he did admit that his wife thought it was a little bit odd. That's okay. He had the revelation. He had understanding of the verse. She didn't, but that's okay. I'm sure she was happy that he did later. So he said 11 years went by. He did that every night, and he did that every morning. For 11 years, after 11 years, he's out on the golf course playing golf. He doesn't have money problems. He's, he's not under pressure. He's actually relaxed. He's out on the golf course as a man of God taking a day off playing golf. And just as he's about to swing and hit the golf ball, he got a call on his phone, his cell phone from the secretary back at his ministry office, and said, Sir, 
I think you probably should uh, come in today to the office. He said, why? She said, well, you just got an envelope in the mail. He said, well, you have permission to open the envelopes. What's inside of it? She said, well, that's what I'm saying. She said, I think you might want to come in and see this. She said, there's a check here for you for a million dollars. He goes, okay. He said, I'll come on down. So he received the check in the mail for $1 million. And yes, the check did go through. It cashed and went through just totally fine. <laughs> okay. So here's the thing. When is the best time to receive a miracle? When you don't really need one. When you don't even need one. Pastor Stephen, he received a million dollar miracle. Let's all shout and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Yes. You know what the true part of it was? He didn't even need it. He already had plenty of money. Now, he had some plans. Oh, yes. He had, he had plans of what he could do. But he didn't even really need it. Praise the Lord. And that's the way your life is going to become. You're not going to be existing on the manna. On the manna. Yes, God's still going to do miracles. You're going to see amazing things. And we are going to see the gift of the working of miracles manifest. Let me say this. That gift, working of miracles, when you read that entire chapter, and towards the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it starts talking about miracles. Paul there at the end of the chapter is actually talking about not the gifts of the Spirit, but the ministry offices of the Spirit. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And when Paul mentions miracles later in that chapter, he's actually talking about the gift of the evangelist. So the evangelist so often operates in the gift of working of miracles. Why? He's ministering to the lost. <laughs> He's ministering to the lost, and God so often does miracles for unbelievers who have no way of operating by biblical principles. They can't even find the book of Revelation in the Bible. They don't even know what it is. So God has mercy on them. They don't know. But when you know, and you've been in the church for a while, there does come a point where God says, we need to get you out of diapers, and we need to get you established and discipled in the Word. Hallelujah. So you're not trying to exist and live off luck and chance and happenstance. No, you live off the principles of the Word, and you begin to prosper and thrive in all you do. Hallelujah. And most often when miracles happen then, you don't even need it. Why? Your life is already so rock solid and established. It's just icing on the cake. Mm -mm. When's the best time to receive a miracle? When you don't need one. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. See, here's the thing with miracles. You cannot make God do a miracle. You cannot make Him do it. And sometimes, on purpose, he'll pull back and not do it because he wants you to stop trying to exist on manna. And he'll pull back on purpose and not do it. He won't bail you out sometimes. He wants you to shift and grow up. And you'll be so happy that you did when you make that adjustment. And by the way, when you live like this, you'll never meet the repo man unless you own a repo company. Okay? It's your company or something like that. Outside of that, you'll never, you'll never know the wolves. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Pastor Stephen, you talk about signs and wonders and miracles. Yes, I do. And I believe in them. 
but you want to be walking in that blessing. Thank you, Lord. Walking in the blessing. Okay? Walking in the principles of the Word. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we give you praise. Lord, we give you praise. Hallelujah. There's these different areas of your life. If any area needs to be cleaned up and healed, and if there's something you can do in the natural, then make that adjustment. If there's an area that's out of control and you need to put the brakes on, then you have to be willing to do that. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Mm. I, I don't know if I should share this, but I think I will. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Sometimes my wife, she says, she says, Stephen, you tell sometimes things that are too personal. Well, I think it helps people. Uh, you, some things you can't share. Here's one I think that you'll find interesting. There are some people in the community that are Christians, but they don't believe in what I call the full gospel message, which is victory over sin, victory over uh, temptation, victory over lack. They, they just think, they love the Lord, but they just think, well, you know, you'll have victory when you get to heaven, but long as you're on the earth, you're going to be defeated and suffer, and you have to just, you know, press through that. I'm like, no, Christ redeemed us from all of those things, and Satan is actually a defeated foe, and you have to enforce the victory of Christ at Calvary over him. His victory is your victory, and when you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. They're like, oh, we, that, that's crazy. We don't believe in that. Well, that's why you have so much failure in your life. And so I've had some of those people in the community who don't agree or believe in the full gospel message persecute me severely with articles and with statements and with slander and with lies and all of these other things. And I had a member of the community talked to me one day. Uh, he was actually a doctor, still is, medical doctor. And he likes my ministry. He's a good man. He said, Pastor Stephen, he said, don't let those things trouble you that uh, those who don't understand the full gospel, the full inheritance that Christ purchased for us. He said, he said don't let those people who say those mean things against you. Don't let that trouble you. He said, I'll give them a talking to. I said, what do you mean that you'll give them a talking to? <laughs> I, I said, how, how do you know them? He goes, oh, I'll meet them. I said, why do you say that? He said, because the, the critics, he said, I know where they eat at. What do you, I said, what do you mean by that? He said, I know where they eat and all of your critics, they're clogging up their arteries with their food. They're, he said, they're ticking time bombs for a heart attack. And when they come to the hospital, and I'm there in the operating room, because, you know, he's involved in, you know, in all of that. And the surgery takes place for us to clean out the plaque and to open up the arteries and to take their heart out of their chest and to sit it over on the tray while it beats. While we work on that individual, I'll be sure to talk 
have a little talk to their spirit while they're in that place in that moment. And then when we sew them all back up and they get back out and may, maybe they'll be nice to you because I'll give them a little talking to while they are under the knife, so to speak. Because <laughs> he said they're all going to be showing up to meet me because I know what they're doing to their body. And you cannot you cannot abuse your body like that and eat nothing but junk like that. And not have it come back and bite you. And he's not saying that out of any sort of vengeance or, or, you know, bad heart. He's just saying, hey, you can't do that. You can't put that in without ending up here at the hospital. He said, I'll be talking to them. I'll be seeing them. <laughs> I said, well, may they be blessed and healed of the Lord. I hold no animosity against anybody. Praise God. And I certainly wouldn't want to see anybody go through uh, that, Ooh, that's, that's painful. You know, they literally cut your chest open, cut through all the bone, sternum and everything, open you up and take your heart out. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Praise God. But my friends, let's do our part. Let's do our part. Mm. This is a culture uh, in America, particularly with a young generation where they don't want to earn it. But when you earn it and you rise up and you do your part, I tell you, it develops maturity in you, and we need leaders. We don't need wallflowers and these little, you know, uh, milk toast people that espouse all of this stuff, and the stuff doesn't even work. And the moment that real life happens, or the moment that the rubber meets the road, you know, they've never even been there. They've never even been there. It reminds me of Karl Marx. And all of his ideologies and all of his philosophies of what he thinks is the proper way to run a government. He never ran anything. He sat in a stupid library reading stupid articles all the time. And then when he couldn't even find data or information to back up the way he thought it should be done, he fabricated and falsified certain forms of data that to try to justify his beliefs. See, he's just a wallflower. He never did anything. He's just a critic just with a bunch of ideas that have never been proven, never worked. And his ideas, all they ever did when they were implemented is kill millions and millions of people. Wow. Praise God. So earn it, earn it, believe God, walk it out, dare to believe God, hold to the word, stand on the word. Fight for what is yours. Praise God. Have a backbone along the way. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. And be tough. Be tough. Praise the Lord. Be sweet. Mm. Wise as a serpent, but as harmless as a lamb. Be very sweet, but be very, very wise at the same time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm not sure where this, where this fits in, but I'm going to put it out there. I had a vision this morning while in prayer, getting the notes ready for today's sermon. I saw a man sitting at a computer. The computer had three screens, one in the front, one on the side at an angle and another one at an angle. I couldn't see who the man was. I just knew he was a man, that he was a Christian. I don't doubt that he was a Christian that feared God. But he was a man sitting there. And he was investing in stocks. I couldn't see him. It's like a cloud was over him. But he was investing in stocks. And I could sense 
from the heart of God that this man was really into making money through stock investing. And, you know, the stock market is doing good. And if Trump, President Trump stays in office, which I'm praying that he will, the stock market is just going to do better and better. So in some ways, it doesn't take a genius to make money right now in the stock market. But I'm not endorsing that you get involved in that because you can lose your shirt too if you don't know what you're doing. So please don't get involved in that unless you have good knowledge base and good skill in that. And it takes a while to learn all of that. But I saw this person really into their investing, making money. And I felt the heart of God because the Lord said to me, if that, if that believer would be as passionate about making money in the stock market, if he would be as passionate as winning souls, I would allow him to make more money in one day than what he could do in 10 years with his own efforts if he just had as much of a heart to see the lost saved as he does to see his stock portfolio increase. Hmm. And I saw people all over the world sitting in sin, sitting in darkness, lost, not knowing the gospel, on their way to a burning hell. And I saw him sitting there having no interest in that, no care about that. He loves the Lord. He loves the Lord, but just so absorbed in his own life. I said, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, let us always have a heart for you and for your kingdom. And when you put the Lord first, and that is walking in the wisdom of God, mm, God will protect you, God will bless you, and He'll add all of those things to you that the world just craves and lusts over and would do anything to get. And God will just give it to you. He'll just bless you with it. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Make things right. Make things right. The number one thing is keep the Lord first. Keep the Lord first. Now, wisdom is extremely important. Solomon had tremendous wisdom, but Solomon had a missing ingredient that you must have in the end times. You know what's amazing about Solomon? Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, and most, most theologians believe that the book of Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon after he came back to the Lord. Now, here's the thing. When Solomon got into idolatry, Solomon said, I still retain my wisdom. So he had the wisdom of God while he began to explore all of these sinful pursuits. So he could tell others what to do, and it would work for them. But he wouldn't implement it or walk it in himself. By the way, that's the difference between Solomon and David. David blew it really bad, yet it says in Scripture that God even says that he was a man after God's own heart. What's the difference between David and Solomon? Because Solomon blew it too. David never got into idolatry. David got into sin. He got into the flesh. But David never, ever bowed down to any type of idol. Solomon did. And may you never ever bow down to any movement, to any worldly thing where you bow your knee just to get the, the appeasement of somebody that says, we're so glad that you agree with us. No, I don't agree with you, and I'm not bowing down to that. I'm not bowing to anybody but to God, ever. It's sick. It's disgusting. It's idolatry. It is wickedness to do that. That's why David was a man after God's own heart. 
He never, ever bowed his knee to an idol. May you never do the same thing either. To any movement or to any idol of ideology. Woo! Glory to God. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But you must have the missing ingredient. What is it? It's faithfulness. You must have faithfulness or that blessing. That blessing, you, may, you might want to start looking at that blessing. Uh, that wisdom will produce the blessing. The blessing of the Lord will make you rich. But you must have faithfulness where you stay centered in Christ. Don't start getting away from the cross. Well, I don't need the fast anymore, Pastor Stephen. I, I did a 10-day fast back in 1992. Watch out for drifting. Watch out for your flesh. Mm, 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 mm. I don't really pray that much anymore, Pastor Stephen. I, I don't really need to. I've got, I'm on cruise control now. Watch out. Watch out for drifting. Mm. Praise the Lord. May the Lord strengthen you with faithfulness. What is faithfulness? I will not bow. And the only way that you can have that strength is to walk daily with the Lord. Daily with the Lord. Daily with the Lord. Because if you compromise anywhere on the way to the top, if you compromise anywhere before the Lord, if you compromise His values, His word, His principles, anywhere on the way to the top, once you get to the top, they own you. They own you. And they'll come collecting due. They'll come wanting to make collection because you bowed to them on the way. Mm -mm. And if you've done that, you might as well just back up, back up, throw the whole thing out, get right with God. And you have to be willing to walk away from it. Well, we've got stuff on you. Well, go ahead and look, if that's what you're going to do, go ahead and do it. I'm going on with God. Do your stuff. If you ruin my political career, go ahead and do your thing. I'm going to serve God. I'll never bow to your agenda. Praise God. You have to be willing to do that. You understand, I'm not running for politics. I'm using that as an example. <laughs> Woohoo! Glory to God. You can't bow as a preacher either. Pastor Stephen, I want them to like me. Hmm. Well, you know, there will be those. Apostle Paul said the message of the cross is foolishness. And they're, and they're going to think that you're a fool if you preach it. So, what are you going to do? Well, you have to make up your mind. May you have faithfulness to go along with the wisdom that God is releasing to you. Mm -mm. Woo! Praise God. Now watch this. God wants to release such wisdom into your life that the things that you do start to outdo the things that the world does. That God is looking for those that He can trust that are proven and will not bail out on him so that he can lift you up and start doing things through you that the sinners stand back and say, he's doing it better than we are. She's, she's making better movies than we can make. But see, you don't, you don't compromise. You don't bow. Mm, praise God. That's what the Lord's looking for. Now, let me tell you why this has to be really settled in your heart with the Lord. Because here's what the Lord is working with. This, this is the potential of what you're dealing with. Watch this. I can take all of my wealth. And I can take every single bit of it. And I could give it to my daughter legally. And I could sign it over and give it to her. But do you know what? 
if she decides not to serve the Lord and I've given all that to her, she could turn right around and take all of that money and use it to support an abortion clinic. I'm not saying that this is happening. This is just a make believe scenario. That's what happened with Adam. God gave all authority, all dominion to Adam over the whole planet. And when Adam had it, you know what he did? He turned right around and committed high treason against God and gave it all to the devil. Mm. Now, through Christ, that authority has been won back. But let me say this. The Lord wants to release authority and unprecedented levels of wealth, magnitudes of wealth released into his people. That's you. Like the world has never seen to fund the work of God, to raise up works of God, anything and everything that will expand the kingdom and make disciples of the nations. But you, you cannot turn around and then bail out on God with that kind of authority. He, he's looking for trusted, proven vessels. That's right. That's why right now you need faithfulness. There is a shifting that's going on right now between those that bow that uh, will just go along with things to be appeased and those that say no no God has 7,000 who've never bowed the knee or, or kissed Baal and God, God's got his faithful ones and God will raise those up and in the end times great anointing tremendous power and authority tremendous provision wisdom unparalleled like, like the world is uh, unlike what the world has seen before and we're going to use all of that together to pull the gospel nets, the throw them and to pull them. Woo, praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. So right now, just let your heart be settled with the Lord. Any areas that you've seen, perhaps that you, you, say, you say, I need to make application better in this area. Do that. Do that, and then you will see miracles. And the amazing thing is often when they happen, you don't even need them. Woo, praise the Lord. All right. So, Father, we give you praise. We thank you for what it is you're sharing. We thank you for the privilege of working with you in these great end-time works that you are commissioning, that you are, that you are unveiling and unfolding. And as you do it, you're going to do it first class. You're going to do it the very best. Hallelujah. We thank you for the release, the empowerment, the blessing. Father, we give you praise. We give you praise. I ask that you would strengthen and solidify every person watching today, that there be great maturity in them. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Now, there will be those of you, because you're getting a good grasp on this. You're going to see others making mistakes. Sometimes maybe the same mistakes we've all made. Thinking that God's going to just come through. That regardless of what they do. That God is just going to bail them out with a miracle. And you're going to say please, please stop. Slow down. This is not going to end the way that you're thinking it's going to. Please re-examine this. Please. And because of your love and your willingness to help. Uh, there will be those that listen. And they will not be shipwrecked. They will not go through the trauma that otherwise they would have faced. Praise God. 
Hallelujah. Amen. In Jesus' name. Let's get ready to take Holy Communion today. Grab some unleavened bread. Grab some grape juice. If you're watching today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, my friends, let this be your time where you get your life with God right, right now. Right now, you can pass from spiritual death into spiritual life through salvation in Christ. Pray this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Wash my sins away. Wash my sins away with your precious blood that you shed for me on the cross at Calvary. Jesus, I give my heart to you. Write my name in your book of life. Thank you, Jesus. I belong to you now. Praise God. Now serve him and live for him with all of your heart and follow his word. If you don't know anything about the Bible, get you a Bible and begin reading in the book of John. Praise God. If you're watching today and you have fallen away from Christ, you were a Christian, but now you're out in the world and you haven't been serving God. Come back right now. God's arms are open to you and he'll wash all of your sins away and he'll help get you out of any mess you may be in. Come back to him right now. Say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I have fallen from you, but I turn my heart back to you. Now say, Jesus, deliver me. Forgive me of my sins and help me get out of the trouble that I would be in right now. Heal me. Restore me back unto you. Jesus, thank you for doing it. In your name I pray. Amen. And amen. And Christ has never forgotten you one day. This is your moment. Hallelujah. Thank you for making that moment right with God. Serve the Lord with all of your heart. If you have made a decision to receive Christ into your heart today, or if you have made a, a decision to rededicate your heart back to God, I want to know. Email me at contact at stephenbrooks.org. I want to rejoice with you. Let me know your name. Let me know where you live at, what part of the world. I want to hear from you. Now, everybody now, that is watching and your heart is right with God. Let's take Holy Communion. Mm -mm. Father, we thank you for the bread. We thank you for the juice. We consecrate it and pray and set it apart as holy. We thank you that this is now the body, the flesh, and the blood of Jesus. Father, as we receive the flesh of Christ, we thank you that we belong to you and that we're going to live in heaven with you forever and ever and ever. Woohoo! And Father, as we're faithful to rule and reign and govern our lives, not others' lives, but our lives, we thank you that as we do good, that in the ages to come, you can give us rule and reign and authority over greater responsibilities. And even in this life, you can increase our effectiveness and our outreach because we are being faithful with what you've put in our hands. So, Father, thank you. Help us, help us now to be hearers and doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus that is able to wash any sin away that is able to turn the heart of the darkest sinner into a heart that is washed pure and clean 
Oh, God, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. Father, we ask that you would wash all of our sins away. Thank you that you are faithful and just to do just that. And we give you praise. And we thank you that our sins and our iniquities you remember no more. Thank you for the blood of Jesus covering us every day. Every day. Hallelujah. And thank you, Father God, that we overcome by the word of our testimony, by the blood of the Lamb, and we do not love our lives unto death. Thank you, Father God, for the privilege of living in this day and hour, the last days before the soon coming return of the Lord. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Let your heart be our heart. We give you praise. We give you praise. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive the blood of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. The Word is a sharp sword, sharper than any two-edged sword, and divides between soul and spirit. And we need that because so many things that we think that are spirit is just actually soul. So it's able to discern between soul, spirit, able to discern between the very thoughts of our heart. And God is working right now. God is keeping you on that straight and narrow path. Hallelujah. And you're going to make it all the way to stand before the Lord one day and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Oh, you're going to be so glad that you live for the Lord now while you're here on this earth. You'll look back. You'll be so glad. Amen. Thank you for watching. I look forward to seeing you back next time. Till then, stay richly blessed.